Hey everybody, welcome back to the Macro Compass. This is Alf speaking and we're going to be covering the Fed meeting from yesterday and cross-asset market reaction and portfolio implications. I want to start by actually quoting the most important line from Jerome Powell FOMC press conference yesterday, which had some eerily similarities with the, the words that Draghi used in his famous Whatever It Takes 2012 speech. Powell said, we will keep at it and the inflation is down to 2% and our monetary policy tightening will be enough. It will be enough, he repeated, to restore price. 2012, uh, Draghi said that the ECB is ready to do whatever it takes to preserve the euro. And believe me, it will be enough. Now, the, the eerie similarity in the choice of words here is pretty interesting because I think that effectively... It, it tends to prove as back then Draghi was effectively trying to save the euro and the credibility of the ECB to defend the euro. And today Powell is trying to save the Fed's credibility by winning this inflation fight. And it was not only through this sentence, but also through communication style, the dot plot, the summary of economic projections and market reaction, I think, that Powell tried to convey this message. So let's cover it step by step. There will be three main points. The first is the dot plot, which has a very poor track record in predicting exactly what the Fed will end up doing. And the FOMC members have been very clear about that. But this is not a prediction. It actually is a guidance tool. So based on today's set of information, it tells us what is the guidance that FOMC members want to give us. And the changing guidance since June is very eloquent in the, in the dot plot. What I found very interesting is that 12 out of 19 members, so quite the majority, expect Fed funds to have basically been set anywhere between 4.5% and 5%. And listen, in December 2023. So we're talking about 15 months ahead. And the median expectation from the guys who will effectively decide on Fed funds today, given today's set of information, is that Fed funds will set between 45 and 5%. We need to translate, that means much tighter for much longer. This is the new guidance that the Federal Reserve wants to give with the dot plot. Now, I want to stress out something. When it comes to financial conditions tightening, markets first care about the shock, which is basically the rate of change in dollar interest rates, credit spreads. But once this is absorbed and understood, investors often underappreciate that there is a second dimension. After the shock, markets care about the time persistence of these loose or tight financial conditions. And the Fed is just promising to make those tight conditions very persistent. How it works is that if you take, for instance, a highly leveraged company, which borrowed at very cheap rates in 2021, they can kick the can down the road instead of refinancing now straight away. And they can find shelter from the shock in financial conditions for a bit, but they can hardly escape that if the shock persists over time. And that's what the Fed is signaling with the, with the dot plot. The other interesting point was that the neutral nominal Fed funds, so long-run Fed funds rate, haven't been changed from the 2.5% area. The Fed doesn't think we are in a structural regime change for nominal growth. We might have higher inflation, but then real growth will actually offset that. So what we learned is that the Fed wants to tighten a lot more for much longer. What else did we learn? The second point is that Powell effectively channeled his inner Volcker of subtle historical references to the late 70s 
he said there is no room for premature relaxation when restoring price stability. History actually teaches us that it can be a very expensive exercise. Uh, indeed, uh, it actually prefers to cause pain in the private sector, which is reflected in weaker GDP, higher unemployment forecasts in the summary of economic projections. But they think that this will actually be preferable to the risk of an anchoring inflation expectation if they fail to bring down CPI and CPI remains high over time. Inflation expectation will also adjust higher. Volcker actually in the late 70s, beginning of the 80s, kind of uh, went through this mistake a couple of times. And I put a chart in the article, if you guys want to have a look at it, where month-on-month uh, -month CPI was anywhere above one and one and a half percent. That's year-on-year -year inflation at 15, 16 percent. Uh, he hiked Fed funds to you know, 16, 17% as well in nominal terms. But as, as soon as inflation dropped very rapidly, he actually uh, lowered interest rates as well. And what it ended up doing is that it restored another bout of inflation. And then once again, he needed to go through the same process and ultimately took three to four years until inflation finally stabilized at more acceptable levels. Now, Powell is aware of this and he doesn't want, want to fall into the same trap. And to get there, he told us something important as well, that he wants real Fed funds rate. So the literal nominal Fed fund rate minus inflation recorded at that point to be positive. Not only that, he wants to be in the 1% area, well above any estimate of neutral uh, real interest rates for a convincingly long period of time. Now, markets are taking him seriously on that. If you look at one year forward, one year real Fed funds rate being priced by the market, so it's nominal adjusted for inflation expectations. They have been pushed up to 1.1%, which is the highest in more than a decade. So the market is actually taking power very seriously. That doesn't surprise us much because we know from the macro compass work that the Federal Reserve has quite an influence on the front end of the bond market. The real question is, what about other asset classes? So let's start from the back end of the bond market. And the reaction there was pretty interesting because in a day when the Fed hikes 75 basis point, comes up with references to Volcker and pushes a super aggressive dot plot, third-year bonds actually rallied. Um, and that's an interesting one. And to understand this, I have to uh, propose a theoretical exercise, which will ignore term premium and some other technicalities, but please stick with me. Think of third-year rates as a strip of all the future one-month Fed funds over the next 30 years. So month one, month two, all the way to month 360. Now, obviously, the first 20 to 30 uh, monthly data point in Fed fund rates have to be pretty high, anywhere between three and a half, four and a half, maybe 5%. Yes, but what about the remaining 300 plus data points? Now, that's exactly what the bond market is thinking, is that the more the Fed tightens in the short term, the more it will inflict long-lasting damage to future nominal growth. And it's not only a US story. I put up a chart showing that yield curve slopes are basically collapsing around the world. They're deeply inverted in Canada, in Australia, in Europe, basically everywhere you look at. Now, risk assets also took a hit across the board, but I want to point out that basically this is merely a mechanical adjustment to the new level of risk-free real interest rates, expected defaults in credit spreads, earnings in equities, risk premia in general, they really haven't widened much yet. And I want to prove this point by pulling out a chart that shows that even without downgrading earning per share or expecting higher risk premia, just simply plotting the S&P against uh, forward long-term real yields, you immediately see a very tight correlation and that 
basically the base case is that the S&P should already sit in the 3,700 area. Now, if you overlay on that, that equity risk premia, which I also charted in, in, the, in the article, have basically not moved. They're trading in line with their 10-year average. And that earnings are just getting downgraded for the first time a little bit, while there might be more ahead. Actually, this is not a great place to be long risk assets, as we have already aligned in the months before. About asset allocation and trade ideas after such, um, such an important Fed meeting. So big picture first forward-looking growth indicators are pointing to further deceleration in activity and also, I think, to upcoming weakness in the labor market. Now, central banks, on the other hand, are committed as they can to keep conditions tighter for longer. They're setting monetary policy looking in the rearview mirror. Core CPI, their target, is one of the most lagging indicators in the economic cycle, which means that they basically will compound recessionary forces. Under the macro compass quadrant model, you are definitely sitting in quadrant four. Luckily, we haven't been caught into changing our mind because of price action in the, in the very vicious bear market rally we've experienced in July. We have been true to the asset allocation model, which makes us very defensive since December 2021. Reflected in the long-term ETF portfolio, it's a long-only book which is constructed to deliver better risk-adjusted returns than a 60-40 benchmark portfolio. So the 60-40 is down 17% year-to-date. The long-only ETF portfolio is up 2%. And this is the result of being long-dollar cash, very, very underweight equities and all other risk assets. And also lately, since the 22nd of June, having accumulated some long-end bonds, those are actually experiencing a drawdown. So TLT and IBGL, the two positions I'm running in this long-only portfolio, are down on average between 2 and 5%. Since I started accumulating those, I haven't had that, uh, any position. Uh, I haven't um, basically increased this overweight. There are a lot of cross-currents in global macro. For instance, think of large exporters of capital, Japan, Switzerland, which for decades have accumulated effectively their um, dollar reserves or dollar assets to invest. They've, they've basically put them into the treasuries or equities, and now they're trying to strengthen their currencies or to defend their currencies in the case of Japan which means they at least won't be buying any more uh, dollars. At the very worst, they will actually be selling uh, dollar assets. So those cross-currents make it very complicated to, to time uh, an addition in the long bond position. I still believe, together with gold, this will become the attractive asset to hold over the next coming quarters. Right now, patience is warranted. We went overweight a little bit uh, already in June. It's not working very well, but in the meantime, I remain convincingly underweight equities and long dollar cash, which is making the portfolio actually overperform pretty decently against the benchmark year to date. I also have a tactical portfolio, which is designed to generate double digit yearly total return with a sharp ratio above one, so adjusted for the volatility I take. I do that via long short trades across asset classes. I publish an excerpt of these trades. The actual trade implementation involves options, futures, Year to date, the sharp is 1.25, which is pretty decent. And my hit rate is in the 56% area, which is my normal long-term hit rate. There is quite a risk control management strategy in this portfolio. The trades I'm running are basically can be put in two camps. One is um, basically being short the euro against the dollar uh, and short the Russell. Those are kind of a similar trade. Uh, the difference is basically that the short euro lag takes advantage of the exogenous energy shock 
that uh, Europe is going through Italian election risk, which is very much overlooked, in my opinion. And it also leverages on the, on the global deleveraging wrecking ball process, which supports the US dollar. So the first target in Euro dollar at uh, 0.9 from here onwards, I will be trailing profit and stop losses. Going forward, I will update you guys on that. The Russell 2000 short is also working well. It's basically a short of cyclical small cap companies, which should really feel the hit out of earning downgrades and risk premium expansion. I also am long the yen uh, in two small trades against the Canadian dollar and the Australian dollar. The trade has been basically rescued by the Ministry of Finance intervening in the Japanese yen market. We'll cover this much more in depth going forward. Guys, this is the update for the week, but before I forget, thank you very much for supporting me. I really appreciate you doing this. I hope you also appreciate the countless hours and the hard work that I put up to deliver the Macro Compass every week. If you like my work, one simple thing that would really make me happy. If you would bring two, only two friends or colleagues within the, the Macro Compass family, I mean, they might appreciate it. After all, it's free. And uh, if you like my work, please try and bring a couple of your friends and colleagues within this family. Also, because over the next few weeks, there will be quite a lot of exciting news. So stay tuned. And uh, I'll see you soon, guys, and talk to you next week for another update of the Macro Compass.